let's get into things tonight. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to John chapter 8. That's where we're going to be this evening. John chapter 8, and we're going to start in verse 2. We're um, really beginning the end of our values series, and right about at this point in our values, they start to get super, super practical. Um, So I'm really excited for us to start putting some legs to what our values are as Saints Hill Church. So John chapter 8, verse 2, it says this. At dawn, he, being Jesus, appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him. And he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group, and they said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? Verse 6, they were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him, but Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let any of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground, At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left, with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you. Jesus declared, Go and leave your life of sin. This story is a famous story. Probably most of us know it. And really, it's like the first century's equivalent of a good old-fashioned Twitter shaming. You ever seen one of those take place? Just the morals have changed a little bit since then. And in the biblical version, you could actually get rocks thrown at you. But um, we have really moved into a culture in the United States where shaming people is used to push our agendas. Uh, This is Justine Seiko. Uh, This is a little photo from her Twitter shaming event. And uh, her story is just crazy. She was a reasonably unknown PR gal uh, working for a large company here in the States. She had like 500 followers on Twitter. And she was going back home to South Africa and she wrote a stupid tweet. And in the tweet, she said something to the effect of, going back home to South Africa, hope I don't get AIDS. Not the most tasteful tweet, not a good thing to tweet, right? But by the time she had, she turns her phone off, by the time she lands in South Africa, there are people waiting at the airport having written death threats on her Twitter account. This is from somebody who was stalking her at the South Africa airport that she landed in. And this guy says, yep, Justine Seiko has just landed at Cape Town International. She's decided to wear sunnies as a disguise. She lost her job. She had to go into hiding. She, um, the, the New York Times wrote an article about this whole incident when it happened, and they said how this moment marked a massive shift in the new rise of people grouping together based on opinion and shaming people publicly on Twitter, which now we're all really familiar with, but this is one of the first instances. 
So, so think about this for a moment. This is very similar to what we have in this text. We have religious leaders thought to be pure and righteous. Jesus, this up-and-coming popular rabbi, all contrasted with this woman who is probably partially nude, if not completely nude at the time, caught in the very act of having sex with somebody that she's not married to, incredibly taboo for the time period, and she's brought to be shamed in front of these men. And they throw her before Jesus and they say, Moses in the law said that we should stone her. What do you say? The Pharisees, they saw this as an opportunity to catch Jesus, but instead he uses this as an opportunity to physically describe the new covenant that he's bringing. See, remember, um, Jesus is the transitioning point from the old covenant, the law of Moses, to the new covenant, the law of the Spirit. And one of the markers of the old covenant was punishment to fit the crime. The old covenant was incredibly progressive for its time period. When you look at the other ways of thinking and the other sorts of law and code at the time, but the new covenant is incredibly different from even the old covenant. And we see this with Jesus. Does he condemn her? No. Does he punish her? No. Very, very interesting. Jesus has this social pressure to not honor her, but to punish her instead. And instead, what does he do? He shows her dignity by placing her at the same level as everyone else. They came to show just how far above her they were, and they left realizing that they were on the same plane as she was. Our eighth core value as a church is that we celebrate every person by creating an environment of honor. In an attempt uh, this evening to verbally describe the culture that we're headed towards, I just have like a three-part message for you. Why honor? What is honor? And how do we honor? Why? What? And how? So why does honor even matter? I can tell by the riveted look on your faces. You're like, honor? Really? Um, We honor people because we've been honored by Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. That's why we honor. A couple of years ago, uh, I was having dinner with a friend's family. And they just really, truly in this dinner put on display what happens when nobody feels honored at the dinner table. Every time somebody would share a story, there was always somebody with a better story to top theirs. Each person, it seemed like they had the inability to be interested in anything else but what they were interested in. Have you ever known people like that? When something was said that was maybe dumb, the person who said it, they heard about it. And you you could just watch through the course of this evening as each person curved in towards themselves and then lashed out from that place. A lack of honor. What does it do? It just shrivels individuals until you never really see the best of people because their best was never noticed or valued. So in a community without honor, you never really know who you're dealing with. You don't really know the people who are in a community that doesn't have honor because in a community without honor, we tend to reduce everyone to their emotional and mental lowest common denominator. And this shouldn't be the case for Jesus' church. It says this in Romans chapter 12, verse 10. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing 
honor. It's like, oh yeah, Saints Hill, I've heard of that church. Yeah, they got a bit of a competition going on right now, just a little fun, trying to outdo one another and showing honor. A, a pastor named Danny Silk, who um, we got a lot of this value from, wrote a book called Culture of Honor, and in it he says this. He says, accurately acknowledging who people are will position us to give them what they deserve and to receive the gift of who they are in our lives. I love that. That's honor. It's accurately acknowledging who someone is in Christ. Now, this just isn't a good idea. Jesus actually believed this too. Here's what he says in Matthew chapter 10. He says, whoever welcomes a prophet as a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And whoever welcomes a righteous person as a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. Now, Jesus said this when he was sending out the 12 to do the same things that he did. What is he getting at? What is he talking about? What he's saying is that the way that we receive one another has an effect on what we bring out of that person in the natural and in the spiritual. People carry a reward with them based on who God has made them to be. And when we recognize who God has made them to be, accurately acknowledging who they are, and we honor that, the scriptures tell us we receive the reward that they have to be in that community. It's beautiful. When C.S. Lewis uh, had a friend die, he said, I'll never know my other friends the same way that I knew them when that person was alive. Because that person brought something out of my other friends that nobody else could bring out of them. How? By the way that he honored them. He, the, he brought a reward out of them. Sometimes we really don't know the people around us because we've yet to truly honor them correctly for who God has made them to be. So why an environment of honor? Why is this of value? Because honor is the culture of heaven. It's very simple. The Father's honoring the Son. The Son is honoring the Father. The Spirit's honoring the Father. The Son's honoring the Spirit. And on and on and on and on it goes. And if you read in Revelation, what are the saints saying in heaven? They're saying, holy, 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 worthy, worthy, worthy. What are the angels doing in heaven? Do you know? It says that they're rejoicing over even one person when they walk into the kingdom. Do you know what that is? That's honor in every single direction. We honor because we've been honored. Not based on how we've been treated or how we interpret others' actions towards us. We honor because he's made us honorable. That's why we honor See, at some level, all of us are the woman who are caught in the act, and Jesus honored us enough to die for us. What an incredible level of worth on every human life. Now, I feel this is in the room, so, so maybe here tonight, and you're, you're like, celebrate every person, all of them? <laughs> you're like, environment of honor, man, you're such a pastor, just all these words, what are you talking about? What do you mean by honor? What is honor? I hear you. What is it? Honor is extremely close to love because it's a verbal expression or physical act of love. If I tell my wife that I love her, that doesn't really mean anything until I show it to her by honoring her, by setting time aside to, to be with her. 
to not be on my phone or my computer, but to actually look her in the eyes. How was your day? What'd you do today? Tell me about, uh, about your day. Or, or I'd set time aside to give her a back massage. Doesn't happen very often. Sorry about that. Um, just transparency here. Uh, or, or, or I think of presents that she would want, not presents that I would want. We could have saved years of pain if I had just thought about what you wanted, not me. Sorry about that. <laughs> Jesus, he said this, John 13. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you what? Love one another. Honor is closely related to love because you cannot honor someone in order to expect something in return. That's not honor, that's flattery. See, an environment of honor is never built around what I need, it's built around what I'm able to give away. How do you come to church? Do you come to church? I just need this. That's fine, but at some level he's gonna fill you and it's time to overflow. See, I can't give away something that I don't possess. This is why it's so important that we receive the honor that Jesus has shown to us. Many streams in Christianity have thought that in order to honor God, it means that I must put myself down. But to put yourself down is to ignore the honor that he's given you. And it's not just, it's not just like a uh, kind of thing to do. It's a dangerous thing to do. Because if you don't receive the honor that he's shown you, what will you have to show to other people around you? we often treat one another the way that we feel that we have been treated. So if you don't take the time to receive his honor, what will you give away? Flattery's an interesting thing to me. As I was thinking about honor and just the opposite, what, what exactly is flattery? Flattery is trying to give something away that you don't possess to give away. And so it often comes across, when somebody flatters you, it's like, they don't mean that. It's kind of condescending. Maybe it even falls flat, right? You're like, that's just a lie. That's why it's called flattery. It's flat. <laughs> See, in order to honor someone, there must be the integrity and character and truth to back up what's been said or done towards that person. One of the primary leadership lessons I feel like I learned in the past year is don't encourage someone without specifics. See, if I just say, hey, you're doing a great job, they're like, do you really mean that, or are you just like trying to be positive? But if I say, hey, I noticed what you did and the way that you did that, it got me thinking, that was amazing, thank you, such a gift. Well, wow, there's reason, character, integrity behind the honor, right? See, when you honor somebody, here's what you, here's what you do. You're doing the hard work of getting God's thoughts about a person, and then you're positioning your life to speak those same thoughts and agree with those same sentiments over that person's life for their life. That's how you honor. And so here's my aim for us. I just wrote this down. This is what I, what I dream for our church that Saints Hill would be known as a family where people are so free and secure in who they are in Christ, they would be able to honor one another correctly instead of giving into the desire to control others. Don't you want a church like that? Like a church of flattery is a church of control because I'm saying this to you so that I can keep you in my back pocket. But a church of honor says, I don't need anything from you. I'm overflowing from what he's spoken about you. Here's the truth. I want that church. We're going to become that kind of church. 
How are we going to do that? Why honor? What is honor? How do we honor? You know, there's so many different ways to honor, and, um, and so I, I hope that as I, as I share with you this evening, you just like get your covenantal imagination on, turn it on so you can actually think of new ways to honor people, but I got just three areas that I think Jesus is inviting us to honor the people that you're sitting next to tonight, the people to your right and to your left, and the first way is this, loving each other well through confrontation. Oh, are you guys excited for this one? I can see it on your faces. You're pumped. See, we honor one another by increasing each other's freedom, giving one another choice, not trying to control one another's behavior. But you can't have a value for freedom within a church without a culture or a value for confrontation. See, um, confrontation without freedom, which is unfortunately most of the church in America's culture, confrontation without freedom breeds religion and relationship with rules. How many of you guys like those kind of churches? But <laughs> that's right, Evan, because you were in my youth group, so uh, no. Um, was that you? That maybe, well, that wasn't you, Evan. That might have been somebody else. Sorry about that. We'll talk later. Um, <laughs> Freedom without confrontation breeds slavery to desire and lacking a truth-filled backbone. And we don't want to be that kind, of that kind of church either. I would put forth tonight that the definition of what honor means in the kingdom actually means the opposite of what love means in our current culture. See, um, in our current culture, love means allowing somebody to do whatever they want to do. But how do you square that with the instruction that Paul gives us in the book of Romans? He says this. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. How are we supposed to accept one another? Well, the same way that Christ accepted us. Now, so that begs the question, how did Jesus accept us? Well, how did he accept the woman caught in adultery? It, with dignity, with grace, but also sin no more. And another place, take up your cross, follow me, come and die, then you will live. See, um, here's the thing. If you come to Jesus and you expect anything else in your life to take place aside from total and complete transformation, you will simply get frustration. Come, he, he, he will never give you anything less than a complete transformation. He draws a line in the sand, and he says, if you want life, come and die. Incredibly popular message currently. <laughs> And so I think that we as a church, we get the idea that loving means showing grace, being patient, and non-judgmental. But also, loving means confronting at times. It's not honoring or loving to let a brother or sister damage themselves and others around them. That's not love. Honoring someone is praying and prophesying and speaking to them for Christ to be formed in their life completely. And so there's actually a covenantal responsibility on all of our shoulders to do this for one another. 
When I was growing up, I grew up in the church, and uh, I remember I just, at some point, I decided I hate going to church. And now I literally have to go to church every week. <laughs> but I, I just got to this point, I'm like, I don't like church. And I remember my mom just being like, well, why? Why don't you like church? And I'm like, it's fine, like, having a relationship with God, but why does everybody have to talk about it all the time? <laughs> why can't we just do our own things? But you can't. Because when you're in a covenant with him, you're in a covenant with them. See, you don't win as a follower of Jesus when someone else in, in the community loses. They don't win when you lose. That's why the dominant metaphor for the church in the New Testament is the bride of Christ, not the brides of Christ. It's singular. It, the scriptures say that if we are his righteousness, which we are, then you're not his righteousness, so you don't have to be. We are his righteousness. So here's the deal. We need relationships within the church that hold us accountable. Don't you love that word, accountable? You're like, accountable? What does that mean, accountability? Does that mean you like confess your deepest and darkest sins to a group of people once a week? Or No, account accountable, being accountable to somebody is, being, uh, is, is giving an account for your ability. It's giving an account for your ability. That's accountability. So as someone with the Holy Spirit, you have been given the ability to be like God. Did you know that? If you have any life vision for your life aside from becoming like God, you've settled for a lesser reality. And so if you have the same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead, who's perfecting you in this present life, then it's our job to love one another well by holding them and ourselves accountable, giving an account for our ability to be like Jesus here on earth. Many Christians have come to places of normalizing things that aren't normal in the kingdom because they've set a standard for their life that is less than complete Christ-likeness. Which is not like a guilt trip, it's actually sad because you're gonna fail to take hold of what's on offer from Jesus. It's not freedom to choose anything that's outside of the kingdom. That's not freedom. So, so how do we, as a church, confront one another well with honor? How do we do it? Three questions I want you to think about before you confront someone. First is this, do I have the right to confront them? Here's the deal, if they're not a part of the covenantal people of God, you don't have the right. They're not, they're not playing by the same rules. We don't, it's not my job, it's not our job to tell the world how to be the world. Do you have the right relationally? Have you built equity with them so that when you point that thing out that might need to get pruned away in their life for them to be Christ-like in this life, they don't interpret it as control, they interpret it as love. Have you built the relational equity? Who likes getting confronted by somebody they don't know? Not me. I get emails all the time from people who are like, hey, brother, just want to point this thing out. I'm like, I don't know you. I want the truth, and I'm going to listen to the truth, but your, the relational equity goes a long way with confrontation. Second question, am I calling out their destiny, or am I angry? 
This is like just pause. Before you ever confront anybody, it's like, am I angry or am I interested in calling out their destiny? It's pretty hard to call somebody's destiny out when you're mad at them. The question is, is am I winning them over in love and calling them to their identity or am I interested in controlling their behavior? Lastly, am I willing to stay in relationship through the process? Or am I just gonna drop a truth bomb and be like, you're messed up, man, I'm out. How do you know if the person who confronts you loves you? They stay. So we want a culture here at Saints Hill where we honor one another by telling each other the truth, right? So secondly, in order to honor and to receive honor, we have to let go of any identity outside of Christ as a community. Uh, Paul says this in Philippians chapter 3, verse 8. He says, if someone else thinks that they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. He's like, come at me, bro. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for righteousness based on the law, faultless. Jeez. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. Do you see what he's saying? Here's what he's saying. He's saying that he doesn't place any earthly identity above the identity of being in Christ, full of the Spirit, baptized into the family of God. And he's ruthless about it. He's like, I count those other identities garbage. I think that some of us are unable to receive true heavenly honor that Jesus has for us because we're too invested in another identity. And identities become this huge buzzword in our culture today. Um, and identity for us uh, today could mean, it could mean that your voice is super important and they have this identity so we should listen to them. Or it could mean that your voice doesn't matter at all. You have that identity and we're sick of people like you so we don't want to listen to you anymore. Interestingly enough, um, with the rise of this identity thing in our culture, one of the biggest temptations today is to take on the identity of victim. Whether it's your skin color, your economic status, your parents were mean to you when you were growing up, or nobody ever noticed your talent, or you just didn't have the same privilege as the person next to you. And a change that we've seen in our culture is that in order to love the victim well, and make sure that the victim is taken care of, um, we've said essentially that the more of a victim you are, the more important your opinion is. What this has done unknowingly, I, I think it's all done out of a very good heart, but what this has done unknowingly is it's elevated the identity of victim and given, a people, given people a reason to hold on to their offense. 
I, I have a, a friend of mine who I, I dialogue about this very frequently, uh, this specific topic. And uh, he, he's Japanese but grew up in the United States. And he says, you know, there's this tension as an Asian man growing up in the U.S. where, um, you know, my friends are telling me, hey, take that victim identity and use it to get ahead. But at the same time, he's like, but I follow Jesus and he has another identity for me that's very different. And he said this to me when we were having coffee one time. He said, so poignant. He said, my primary identity cannot be victim for me to live into the destiny and victory God has for me. I don't know where you're coming from this evening, what's happened in your life up to this point. If you identify this evening as a victim in some place or in uh, all of the places of your life, but this is the truth for all of us. You may come to him a victim for one reason or another, but he will never leave you there. He has too much honor for you to do that. See, whenever we talk about um, victims in our current culture and how we really shouldn't say, essentially, I'm like shaking right now. We really shouldn't say, essentially, what I'm saying right now. Um, or that the gospel needs some sort of like trigger warning before we tell it to people in order to make it more palatable for those who have had a less advantage in life or harder lives. I, I think to myself, here's a trigger warning. Jesus said you had to die with him. When we allow offense to become a pillar in our identity, what it means is that we've refused to die in some area of our life. Was Jesus offended? Is that how he caused so much social change? He just got super offended and he's like, we've been victimized, us Jews. No. And so anywhere offense has bubbled up in your life, it reveals a place you've yet to surrender your identity fully over to him. And it's a good thing to know where you're offended, I think, because it shows you where the opportunity for freedom lies. It says in the Psalms that you prepare a table in the presence of my enemies. And I actually think that Satan is interested in keeping people in a victim mentality and a victim identity because it causes them not to live in the victory that Jesus has purchased for them. And so it's in those places where we find ourselves offended or we find ourselves feeling like a victim that he's prepared the table. And if we would just change our mindset about it, we would see this is the place for me to gain victory. This is, a, this, it's an, it's been asking, where do I need to surrender? I want to be close to you, more of you. And he's like, right there, where you're offended. I, I like to think about the victims of the first century whenever people talked about victimhood in our co culture today. Uh, you know, half of the church in the New Testament was basically built by an oppressed people group, the Jews. Um, women in the first century were literally seen as property, not metaphorically seen as property. Um, many young men were required to engage sexually with older men against their will uh, in Roman culture. Um, think about the martyrs. They were burned, crucified, eaten by animals. I wonder some, what sort of offense they maybe had in their hearts. And uh, when you really go and you read about the martyrs, it, it turns out they didn't have much offense at all. They actually went to their deaths singing. Those were people who were truly dead. So those were people who truly lived, just like Jesus said would happen. 
The victims of the first century probably had it every bit as bad as any victim in our current culture. And yet the message that set them free and gave them life abundant was the same powerful gospel of Jesus Christ we find today in the pages of the New Testament. For us to honor one another, we mustn't water down the gospel to appease the various identities that someone may hold. We must testify that still, no matter who you are, what you have done, or what's been done to you, there is still freedom, comfort, peace, and a secure identity in Jesus Christ. It's not ignoring someone's experience or your own experience. It's just that we're not gonna hold our experience above the honor of carrying in our bodies what Christ has accomplished for us. So if we're gonna honor well and we're gonna receive honor, then we must be willing to drop any identity that would keep us from stepping fully into what he purchased with his blood. Let's be those kinds of people. Lastly, in order for us to honor well, we have to believe the best about each other and stop mind reading. (laughs) How many of you guys love being judged? Just like, anybody judgmental? Come over to my house. Could you judge me for a little bit? Um, I, I think that we tend to judge one another in the church and outside of the church as well, but especially in the church, based on how we interpret someone's actions. But we would prefer that we were judged based on our intentions. (laughs) There's a pretty big difference between those two things. We judge people based on the impact that they make on us, but we're like, hang on, hear me out. I want you to understand me before you judge me. Let me propose to you that most of us, I'll just say this, let me propose to you, none of us know someone else's intent. And that often when you think you know somebody else's intent or their motives and you get offended, it's likely that you knew what your motives would have been if you had been in their shoes and your motives weren't very good. (laughs) And so you're just mirroring yourself. You're like, if I was in their shoes, that's why I would have done that. Here's the truth. One of the markers of the renewed mind is that you assume the best about people. Do you assume the best about people? We should assume the best about people. That's all that we can say there. Okay, so for our culture here at Saints Hill specifically, my desire from this message is that you would understand the deep honor and freedom God has given to you and that you would in turn have an ability to give that away. It says in the scriptures, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. It was like he he was looking at the cross, but also beyond it at you. And it says in uh, Romans, nobody would ever thinks of dying for someone who's even just a good person. But it says God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, Jesus, he wasn't in love with the cross, He had placed such a high value on you that he was willing to endure the cross for the possibility that it meant getting you. Do you believe that? Can I get like an amen? And that's the core of our value. We honor because we've been honored. Do you feel it? 
So a couple of things practically for Saints Hill. These are just super practical. First is this. Don't despise this familiar voice. Don't despise the familiar voice. Jesus said a prophet is with, isn't without honor except in their hometown. That's why I decided to plant a church in my hometown. <laughs> and he said this. He said this after that. He said, whoever receives a prophet as a prophet receives a prophet's reward. How we think about one another affects the sort of gift that they become to our family. Some of the easiest people to think that don't have anything unique to impart to us from God are the people that we've known for years. <laughs> the brother, the friend, the coworker. It's like, I know them. They, I've, I've been honoring them for years. Could there be more? Paul says this in Romans chapter 1, verse 11. He says, I long to see you, speaking to the Roman church, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. And I just find this super fascinating. He's about to write 16 chapters of the most glorious, rich, gospel-filled theology. And he's like, but still, there's, there's something that only me being in your presence I can impart to you. The letter isn't enough. So, if that's the case for Paul, and we have all these people here this evening, could it also be the case for Susie sitting down the row from you? Or, or the person sitting next to you, do they have a spiritual gift that they're just waiting to release if honor is given? Honor empowers this conviction to take hold. Next slide. I carry something that no one else carries. I must develop and release my gifts into the church and the world and do my part in bringing heaven to earth. Let's be the church that encourages this belief in one another. And lastly, here's the last practical thing I wanna say to our church. Get the word over, get the word of the Lord over someone's life so that you can position yourself to agree with God about them. Go, go do the hard work of God. What would you say about this person so that I can spend my days agreeing with you about them? I touched on this passage last week, but it's just so powerful. Isaiah uh, 35 says this. Strengthen the feeble hands. Steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong. Do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. Paraphrase, it means this. Who's weak among you? Encourage them. Who's having a hard time among you? Prophesy over them. Who's not doing very well? Strengthen them. Then, watch what happens. The next verse says this. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. Do you see what encouragement can unlock? It can unlock supernatural things breaking out in an environment because encouragement is the culture of heaven and it should be our culture as well. There's a way that we can treat one another that mimics how God treats us, and what that does is it prepares a culture to become not just a culture of powerful words, but amazing acts. 
I would go as far to say that a community without encouragement will never change the world. And so let us be the kind of people that encourage one another. Here's what I want us to do as we close this evening. I want you to take a moment, and I want you to just, um, you can look around the room if you need to, or close your eyes if you need to, whatever's helpful. And I just want you to ask yourself this question. Who in this room, right now, this room that we're in, who in this room needs to be encouraged? And God, what would you have me say to them to encourage them? Just take a moment just to think about that right now. Let's get practical. Let's not wait, let's not sleep on this and let this just be, oh yeah, that was a good message about honor. No, let's honor one another. So is there somebody in this room that just comes to mind right now? Maybe you saw them across the room. Maybe you don't even know them. That's great. And you can, in the middle of, as we do worship, Jake, you can come on up. Bria, you can come on up. Um, As we jump into worship, you can just get out of your seat, go over, and encourage their hearts. This is something that we practice in the youth group that I led um, at Bridgetown, and it, it was so funny. Anytime we had worship, it was like one part worship, one part just students walking around to each other and giving the word of the Lord to one another, honoring each other. One of my greatest desires was to see the impossibility of the social hierarchy in high schools turned upside down so that students would honor one another rather than separate and accuse one another from a distance. And I think that that's the same for our church as well. Would we be the church known? If you're like, you need an encouraging word, go to Saints Hill. You need to hear what the word of the Lord is over your life, go to Saints Hill. Let's stand together.